Amen. Lord, help us to not just sing those words, but Lord, to truly live it, to pour out our lives before you. Lord, you laid down your life for us. Help us to live ours for you. We ask as we go to your word right now that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. I miss you guys on Sunday. Uh, Without going into too much detail, it's just the same old chronic thing I've been dealing with for about 15 years. The bad news is I'll probably have it till I go to heaven unless God does something supernatural. The good news is it's not contagious, so I can be around you guys. That's the great thing. Amen? So that's a blessing. Uh, that being said, I was kind of laid up, and uh, so I will never get up here and teach you guys something unprepared. So we're going to look at Genesis 15 next, or 14, excuse me, next Wednesday. Great chapter, by the way. I'm about two-thirds away uh, preparing it, and, you know, just we get to see... You know, Lot, we saw last week, make a decision, a fleshly decision. You know, he looked at, he looked, he saw, he chose, he dwelt. He went toward the land of Sodom. He looked at the outward appearance. And in the end, by striving for the things of the flesh, by striving for the things of the world, he's going to, you know, be separated from the Lord. And he's also going to end up losing everything, including his family. And we'll look at that in depth next week. But what a lesson for all of us. So we can get so caught up in the in finances, so caught up in the things of this world, that we can completely miss out on what God has for us. And we can lose that which is really eternal. Amen? So let me encourage you to come next week. We'll take a look at that in depth. Also, this coming Sunday, we'll be in James chapter 5. So read James chapter 5. Well, tonight, uh, continuing the fact that you know we're looking at the Old Testament uh, we're going to look at a text we looked at, I don't know, three years ago or so on a Wednesday night. So turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. And tonight we're going to look at the seven feasts that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And each of these feasts has a significance. We've talked about the Old Testament truly being a prophetic picture. So much of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in these seven feasts that at the time in, written in Leviticus, all of them were prophetic truths in anticipation of something greater. They were celebration of something that happened had already occurred, and they were in expectation of something greater that was going to occur prophetically. And we'll see that when it was written, that was true, but four of those feasts, and the, uh, certainly the historical events of all seven have taken place, but the prophetic events of four of them have already taken place in the coming of Jesus Christ. And then we will see that there are three more of those seven feasts where they have events, prophetic events, that have yet to happen that will happen with the second coming of Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, these feasts, they had, again, an historical commemoration, remembering what God had done, remembering things in the past, but also a prophetic expectation of events that would be fulfilled in the future. So if you're a note taker, we're going to see the feasts were actually separated on the calendar. The first four feasts that we'll look at tonight are feasts that took place in, in spring or summertime, and they are prophecies that were fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. Those first four feasts, you can see up on the screen there, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruit, and Pentecost. And then we get to the second half of the chapter, we're going to look at the three feasts that took place in the fall, and those are feasts that point, you know, again, looking back historically at events that have already happened, but looking forward prophetically at things that have yet to take place, yet to be fulfilled, that will be fulfilled in the time 
of the Lord. So this chapter is, is such an incredible picture in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at all seven of those feasts. Now each of these feasts are a time of celebration. And you can often you know, learn a lot about people by what they celebrate. By what they spend their time focused on. What, what excites them. And we can see that God had these celebrations in place to teach and to minister to the children of Israel. Again, historically remembering there were joyous celebrations of things in the past, but prophetic expectations of things coming in the future. Now, all of these feasts are being written about, and none of their prophecies have taken place yet, but we have seen them fulfilled firsthand. So let's look at the first portion. We're going to look in the first 22 verses. The four feasts that took place during the spring or summertime, they are prophecies that were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at these first four feasts. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So Moses was to clearly communicate to the children of Israel. You know, back in Genesis, we're looking how God is separating a special people in Abram. Told Abram, we'll continue to look at that next week, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that his descendants would, you know, number like the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore. And we know that God was going to do great things in him. But now we see some time has passed, and God is speaking through Moses to these special called out children of Israel about these holy convocations. These feasts were more than just a, a time of gathering together, more than just a celebration. They were times set aside by God for his people to come together for rest, refreshment, and remembrance of all the things he had done. Again, times of fellowship, times of worship, and times of celebration. The word holy convocation means sacred or set apart assemblies. And again, we can learn a lot about what people celebrate. You know, what is the emphasis on, you know, the, the holidays that we, today? You know, right now when we look at a holiday, you know, it's interesting, holidays should be holy days, amen? You know, it truly should be holy days, and they've become holidays where you can take holy out of the holiday, right? And what has happened instead is we've taken Christ out of Christmas, We've taken the resurrection out of Easter. And the way that we commemorate is a reflection on where we stand with Almighty God. And this goes all the way back to this time as he's exhorting them and how they're to come together. It would be so easy for the Jews to just come together, and certainly they would later on. Just come together and just have this mundane ritual that they went through because they're supposed to. Sadly, much of the church has become that today. People come to church, well, because you're supposed to. I did something bad this week, I better go to church, get some brownie points to make up for the messes, right? And people come and, you know, they're just putting in their time. You know what, if that's your attitude, don't bother. God doesn't want us to come and put in our time. He loves us and it ought to be like going to dad's house, amen? Coming to see him and spend time in his presence. And guys, we should come even when we don't feel like it, but realize that the Lord has so much more for us than just coming to some mundane ritual. And the same as being encouraged. This is a holy convocation. The word feast in Hebrew means appointed time, a set time of commemoration and celebration of what God had done for them. So as we continue on, we're going to look at how each of these feasts had significance. Let's look at verse 3. It says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Again, a sacred 
set-apart time. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwelling. God's word to Moses was to re-emphasize the importance of the Sabbath. A weekly holy convocation that we don't just set aside a couple of feasts, or in this case seven feasts a year to set aside to the Lord, but every day is the Lord's day as we know. But we should take at least one day every single week that we set apart unto God. Can I say something just from your pastor's opinion, just my opinion? I really think we've kind of lost the whole concept of the Lord's day. You know, when I was a kid, it was kind of rough sometimes when you're young, but Sunday, all day was about the Lord, all day. You come to church in the morning, and you know, you go to church, and after church, you know, mom puts the roast in the oven, you don't know who's really going to come over necessarily, didn't have microwaves in those days, and then, you know, somebody come over to your house, you hang out in fellowship for four or five hours, and you go back to church for Sunday night service, and all day Sunday was just hanging out with God. And now it's come to the place where people want to go to a church. I had a guy ask me recently, he said, yeah, I'd like to come visit your church, so how long do you go on Sunday? And all I asked him was, so, well, how long do you think the Lord's worth? He didn't really like that. How much time do you think the Lord's worth? Oh, I mean, you spend two hours at a movie, right? Amen. Three hours at a baseball game, isn't God more important than that? Now, again, we don't measure our you know, our faithfulness by I'm willing to sit in a pew for 47 hours. That just shows how holy I am. But you know what? We ought to want to spend time with God's people. Amen? Instead of running out of the building like it's on fire as soon as church is over, ministry doesn't stop when the worship stops. Amen? Ministry ought to continue while we're here. And can I encourage you? Pray about looking around for new people. Invite someone over for lunch. Let ministry continue. And so he says to them, look, these are holy days set apart, not to work, not to try to gain things of this world, to stop everything and focus on God. Boy, what an exhortation for all of us, amen? To stop everything and focus on God. This time was set aside to pray, to praise the Lord, to hear the word of God, to offer sacrifice, to rest from work and commune with him, to keep the focus only on God above all worldly gain. And again, these annual feasts were not to take the place of weekly worship. So going to church on Easter and Christmas does not take the place of having intimate fellowship with God. Amen? All right. So let's begin looking now at these feasts. The first one we're going to look at in verse 4 and 5 is Passover. Historically, we know that it's a celebration of their deliverance out of bondage. It says in verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, these holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. So the fourteenth day of the first month, in their calendar, the calendar that this is speaking of, this would be March or April, the month of Nisan or Abib. Now, what's interesting, this was celebrated on the actual annual day that they were delivered out of bondage. Remember what Passover was. God had raised up a deliverer. They'd been in bondage for 400 years. As they sat in bondage for 400 years, it took all that time for them to finally cry out to God. Then it says that God heard their voice and he brought a deliverer, the most unlikely of deliverers. A man who had once been, you know, an Egyptian prince 
who had now been 40 years on the backside of the desert, God appears to him and speaks to him through a burning bush and tells him to go. Moses says, who am I? I'm a stutterer. How could God use a man like me? And he comes back, and we know that God uses him to come and challenge Pharaoh, and the plagues come upon Egypt with each time the exhortation to let God's people go. And Pharaoh would continue to harden his heart. Finally, the final plague was the plague that was known as Passover. Passover, just again, you've heard me talk about this a lot, but in case you haven't, and if you've heard it, you need to hear it again anyway, that Passover was so significant because it points clearly to the cross. If you'll remember, they had to bring the lamb in on the 10th day. The lamb would come in, and on the 10th day, they'd have that firstborn spotless lamb, and for four days till the 14th day, they would examine the lamb to make sure it was perfect. Then once they knew it was perfect, on the 14th day, they were to cut the animal's throat and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the basin and on the top and on the sides of the, of the po- doorpost. And what was it to represent? Again, it's the cross of Calvary. Now, it wasn't enough to bring the lamb in. It wasn't enough to even examine the lamb. It wasn't enough even to shed its blood. The blood had to be applied. Guys, it's not enough to believe that Jesus Christ is God. It's not enough to believe that he died on the cross. It's not enough to believe that he rose from the dead. You can believe all those things and be lost. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble, right? Satan certainly knows all those things. He's not going to heaven. Guys, it's got to go beyond believing it with our head, but giving our lives to him. Because after they shed the blood of the lamb and put it on the shape of the cross, and the angel of death passed over, and they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, before they were delivered, after they shed its blood, they would feed upon the lamb. Jesus said, you know, if you're not willing to eat my flesh and drink of my blood, you by no means can have any part of me. Guys, it goes beyond a a knowledge of God to having intimate fellowship with God through his Son, empowered by his Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's what Passover, this first feast, every time that they would celebrate it, they're commemorating their deliverance out of Egyptian bondage, Egypt being a type of the world. We've been delivered out of bondage, we're remembering that looking back. It commemorates, it celebrates the deliverance out of bondage, but we know prophetically it points to the cross of Calvary. Did you know that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the 10th day of the month. He was examined by the Pharisees. He was put on trial by, by, by all the crowd that was there. And when was his blood shed? On the very day that the le- blood of the lambs was to be shed to celebrate Passover. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't rock. Amen? It's so perfectly put together. Here they are. They have no idea all that they're doing. Do you know that they even wanted to make sure Jesus hurried up and died so they did not mess up Passover. Here's the Passover lamb hanging on the cross. The blood of the lambs would have been flowing through the Kidron Valley there. And as it was flowing through the Kidron Valley, Jesus was being brought across as he was arrested and blood was flowing. What an incredible picture, all of it pointing to Jesus Christ. So this feast, this first feast, Passover, all points to the cross and pointing to our Lord as the fulfillment of it. Again, the blood must go beyond just believing in it. It must be applied. If you're here tonight and you've never applied the blood of Christ to your life, you've never said, Lord, I don't just believe in you. I want you to rule and reign in my life. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. You need to give your life to him. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that Christ is our Passover. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. It says that in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. In case any of you wondered what that shape was, to make it very clear, it says in 1 Corinthians. In John 1, 29, we know, again, the blood of the Lamb when Jesus came, began his public ministry. John saw him coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And praise God for his incredible grace. And may we never take the cross for granted. Amen? Okay, the second feast after the feast of Passover is the feast of unleavened bread. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. It says, on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. So remember, Passover is on the 14th day. Feast of unleavened bread begins on the 15th day. All right? And it says there, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On that first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. So, what did this commemorate for them historically as they ate no leavened bread? What it represented historically was the fact that they had to leave Egypt with great haste. They didn't have time to allow the bread to rise. They literally had to run out of the, you know, God had brought them out, but they had to leave in a hurry. Now, leaven, as we know, in Scripture, is a type of sin. Egypt is a type of the world. Leaven is a type of sin. And so, unleavened bread is a picture of being sinless. Now, isn't it interesting? We all know this. The Passover had delivered them from bondage. They're now new creations in Christ. That's who we are. We've been set free. But we're to leave the world of sinful behavior behind. Guys, it doesn't end at the cross. Again, that's where our, our walk with God begins. Now we are His children. And now we need to leave behind with haste. Not slowly walk away from that old sinful behavior. Amen? Well, in about 50 years or so, I should... Guys, we're going to continue to sin, but we ought to be grieved by it, and we should not make excuses for it. Can I tell you, just again, I'm being real... I, I didn't see you on Sunday, so I've kind of built some of it up, all right? But you know what? You know what? Can I just encourage you, and it just grips my heart? Sometimes I'll, we'll, I'll talk with some of you, and I'm not saying I'm above this myself, but we talk about the same thing every week for years. Is our God above... Can He deliver us from that? Can he bring us out of that? Amen? And guys, you know what? Be holy for I am holy. We should not look at sin as being accept, acceptable. Prophetically, so it was looking back to them leaving in haste. And then prophetically, it's an expectation. You know, Jesus is the unleavened bread. He said, he took unleavened bread, right? The Lord's Supper. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is a picture of the body of our Savior. He is the bread of life. And again, unleavened because he is without sin. Now, how do we know his body was the unleavened bread? Well, the next feast is going to point to the answer. But as I shared with you before, a Seder, a Passover meal that are still being celebrated today, between the second and third cup of wine, they have a bag. And they open up this bag and three pieces of unleavened bread, matzah bread, you've all seen it, no doubt. It's striped and pierced. By his stripes we are healed. He was pierced, he was wounded for our transgressions. Amen. 
And they take these three pieces of bread, all made of the same substance, and they pull the centerpiece out. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? All three of them, same substance, all equally God. They pull the centerpiece out, they break it in half, then they wrap it in linen and they hide it. And when the children find it, the children go look for it, they all celebrate that they have found it. It is the only part of the, this entire Passover Seder that's not in Hebrew. It's, it's actually a, it's the only Greek word, and the word is afikomen, and it means I came. Guys, they have the Passover Seder, and they're taking the bread that is pierced and striped and pulling the middle piece out, and they're breaking it in half, and they're wrapping it in linen, just as our Savior was wrapped, and placed in the tomb. And guess what? When he rose from the dead, we ought to all be shouting and jumping up and down. Amen? Then they take the third glass of wine. It's interesting that he rose on the third day. Man, I just love how the Old Testament all points to Jesus Christ. Amen? Guys, these feasts ought to be an encouragement to us, an exhortation to us. Jesus was hidden behind the stone, and again, it was rolled away, and he indeed has come. So the Passover points to the cross, the release from bondage, the unleavened bread, leaving in haste, but it also points to the fact that Jesus was in the tomb. But praise God, he doesn't stay there, amen? He's a risen and a living Savior. So now we're going to see the third feast, the feast of first fruits. Look what it says there in verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priests. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. When's the day after the Sabbath? In those days, the Sabbath was what day? Saturday. The day after the Sabbath would be Sunday. On Sunday, they would come and they would wave the first fruits before God. What in the world is this talking about? Once you've entered into the land of promise, you're not to forget who it is who's blessing you. You're not to forget who it is who's given you everything that you have. On Sunday, they were to take the first fruits of the first harvest and wave them before the Lord. They could not partake of any of it until the first fruits were offered to God. Let's keep reading. And you shall offer, verse 12 on that day, when you wave the sheep, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. A male lamb without blemish, a picture of whom? Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, who became the first fruits of his people. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Guys, they are waving this the Sunday after Passover, which would be Resurrection Sunday. He is the first fruits of the resurrection because he is risen, because he has triumphed over sin and death. You and I have triumphed over sin and death. Amen? It's all pointing. This feast is pointing to the resurrection. They're remembering historically, looking back at God's provision, but looking forward at God's greater provision through his son who suffered and died in our place so we might have eternal life. Amen? Ought to be excited about that. Notice what it says here. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, 
and its drink offering shall be of wine one-fourth of a hen. It's interesting, fine flour, sifted flour, sifted. Again, just as our Savior was sinless and perfect. Oil is a representation in Scripture of the Holy Spirit. Who's filled with the Holy Spirit? Of course, the Lord. And fire, this trial, the testing of the cross of Calvary. But then it says it's a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of the Father. You know what, guys? As heavy-duty as it was for our Savior to go to the cross, His sacrifice, as hard as it was for Him to see His Son die in our place, it was a sweet-smelling aroma because of the fruit it produced. The fruit that you and I can be born again that our sins have been washed away, this feast of the first fruits. And it says in verse 14, you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It should be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Guys, the first fruit had to be consecrated before the rest of the, the harvest could be accepted. It's only because Jesus Christ died He was consecrated unto the Father that you and I can be accepted. Amen? Without the first fruits being waved before God, the rest of the harvest could not be accepted. And so too, without Jesus' death on the cross, without his resurrection from the dead, you and I would not be accepted. So again, historically, giving of the first fruits, that everything, our first fruits should always go to God. Guys, we should not give God what's left over. Amen? Hey, here at Calvary Chapel, let's face it. We don't pass an offering. We don't ever want you to think that we want your money. We don't want your money. God doesn't need your money. But you know what? He wants your heart. And if he has your heart, I think it was uh, D.L. Moody who said, I can learn a lot more about a man by looking at his checkbook than looking at his prayer book. And there's a truth that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? He gave us the best. We should give him the first of all that he's already given us. Amen? Don't give him what's left over. Don't give him what's left over of your time, of your talents. Don't be exhausted out doing everything for the world and get, oh, okay, maybe I can help out once, you know, half an hour, once every four months. We need to give God the first fruits of our day. Amen? Let me encourage you to begin your day with the Lord. Begin your day, spend your day, and end your day in his presence. Amen? Don't give him what's left over. But prophetically, again, this is, an expectation for them of the resurrection. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Passover points to the cross, the unleavened bread, the sinless Savior laying in the tomb, and then the first fruits pointing to the resurrection. Now finally, that fourth feast beginning in verse 15, the feast of Pentecost. It says in verse 15 and 16, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath From the day that you brought the sheep of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a grain offering to the Lord. Now, historically, this was held in remembrance of the giving of the law. If you go back and look at Passover, and you add 50 days... You have Moses coming down from Mount Sinai to deliver the law to the people. If you'll remember, on that day, that first Pentecost, if you will, on that day the law was given. And what's interesting, the earth shook. There was fire on the mountain, the earth shook, and 3,000 people died when the law was given. You remember that? 
He came down, they were out of control, and God smote 3,000 people that day. You know what? 50 days after the resurrection, you come to Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and guess what? The whole place was shaken, wasn't it? And the tongues of fire came down, and guess what happened that day? 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't rock. On the giving of the law, 3,000 died. At the giving of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 were saved. The law reveals our sin. But Jesus is our Savior, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we've been born again. Amen? So, Pentecost was them in remembrance of the giving of the law, but for us, prophetically, it was pointing forward to the giving of the Holy Spirit, the helper that you and I so desperately need to live this life sold out for God. Amen? Without Him, we can do nothing. Can I tell you, people get tired of hearing this, but it is an absolute fact. Your problem is not that you struggle with alcohol or that you struggle with your anger or you're not being kind. Now, here's, your pro- here's my problem, here's your problem. We're trying to do it in the power of the flesh. When we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Show me a man walking in the Spirit, I'll show you a man who's kind to his wife, who doesn't blow a head gasket, who isn't focused on his money, Amen? But let's look at someone walking in the flesh and we're going to be all focused on all that stuff. Guys, it's a Holy Spirit issue. It's too much of me and not enough of him. That's the problem. All these other things are the symptom of that problem. Amen? Jesus said, of men born among women, none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said it, that means it's so. Amen? And then John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. So the greatest man to ever live outside of Jesus Christ, according to Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, said, less of me, more of him. What do you think we ought to be saying? Less of me, more of him. Amen? Guys, we need to be filled to overflowing with this Holy Spirit. Guys, you know what? Can you imagine what would happen to Santa Cruz if there were a couple hundred just filled to overflowing Holy Spirit Christians walking around this county all day, every day? This place would be turned right side up for the kingdom of God. Amen? God used 12 people to turn the known world right side up. He can use the people in this room to impact this county. Lord, help us. Amen? Fill us afresh. Help us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. There's fire. There was fire on the mountain at the giving of the law, and there were tongues of fire at the giving of the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, it says, You shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. Shall be of fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven, they are the first fruits to the Lord. Again, the two loaves representing the two tablets of the law. Many believe it points to the Jews and the Gentiles, both of us becoming Christians together. Again, leaven, a representation of sin. What does the law do? It reveals sin. The church is made up of sinners. Amen? You know, I can't go to church, man. I'm too big of a sinner. That's why you need to be here. Amen? That's why we need to come to the Lord. We're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Until we're sinners, we'll see no need for a Savior. And the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. And again, the bride is only made perfect by the blood of Christ, by the groom. He's our groom. We're only made perfect through him. And then it says in verse 18, And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now notice something here. You have seven lambs. Seven, the Bible's a number of what? 
perfection or completion. Amen? Seven is a number of perfection or completion. Then it's interesting, there's a bull. So you have the completeness, then you have a bull. A bull is a beast of burden. You know, the Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen? And two rams. It's interesting to me that when Abraham took Isaac up onto Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son, his only son, who's carrying the wood on his back and is freely submitting to the will of his father because Isaac wasn't eight years old like you might see in some cartoons. He was probably in his 30s. I wouldn't be surprised if he was 33. And he's carrying him up there like Jesus was. And he's, he's carrying the wood. He could have overtaken his father anytime he wanted to. Because Abraham's probably 130 by now. Right? And, and what does Isaac do? Just like Jesus Christ, he goes up and he freely lays down his life. He trusts whatever his father says. Just like Jesus Christ. And we know what happened as Abraham held up the knife to sacrifice his son, his only son. God the Father stopped him and said, now I know. Now I know. You'll hold nothing back. And you know what it says? He looked in the thicket and the Lord provided himself, not for himself, he provided himself a sacrifice and that himself was a ram caught in the thicket. We have ten animals here, seven lambs, Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, completeness. The bull, the beast of burden, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's cast our cares upon him. And here we have the ram, that picture that we saw, again, of our Lord with Abraham and Isaac. The feast was to be a time totally focused on God. And as they were focusing on the Lord, you see these very clear pictures of him. What an awesome, awesome thing. You just, I just love I love the Old Testament because, again, history truly is his story. And it truly does point to the Lord. And it says there, you shall make the sacrifice of one kid of the goats as a sin offering. Jesus took away the sins of all mankind. And two lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. Remember that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And you can have no peace apart from him. Amen? And as he died in our place, he brings peace to sinful man. The, pe- the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. This time of feast was to be totally focused on God. They were celebrating their harvest, but they were also remembering the the giving of the law but i love this that no work was to be done on that day you know why guys because he did all the work for us amen we don't enter in because we did a bunch of work on that day he did all the work and all the sacrifices were pointing to him and guys because of the cross of calvary we enter into his rest and so too the pouring out of the holy spirit that pentecost represents does not come by us working hard enough to get the holy spirit If I just do enough, God will give me his Holy Spirit. You know what you have to do to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Ask. That's it. That is the answer. The Bible says, ask. He will freely give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Amen? So we ought to come and say, Lord. And some people say, and Pastor Don used to say this, you know, why do you ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit all the time? Didn't you just ask last week? The answer is yes, but I leak. Amen? Don't we need to be filled afresh? 
How many need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. Amen. We're going to pray for that before we leave. You know what? Lord, fill us afresh. Because we do. We do indeed leak. And notice what it says here. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. You shall leave it for them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Notice even in the midst of these feasts and these celebrations, he's telling them that, you know what? Don't harvest the corners. Leave them for the, the, the poor. Don't go back. You take one swipe through. And when you go through and you reap the harvest, whatever falls to the ground, you leave it. That was the welfare system in those days. But notice it was workfare. Because if you wanted the gleanings, you had to show up to get them. Amen? Man who does not work shall not eat. And so they would come. And here we see, even in the midst of this feast, you just love the heart of our, of our God, that he's, his passion and burden for those who are poor. Guys, we need to have that same heart, don't we? And I, want to de- and I think there needs to be a definition between poor and lazy. God does not reward being lazy. Amen? All right. So we see the four, spe- the four feasts that have already been fulfilled. What do we see? One, Passover pointing to the cross. Unleavened bread, our sinless Savior in the tomb. The first fruits, the resurrection. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, and the birth of the church. All of these have already been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, these three final feasts, some time goes by. These four feasts all pretty grouped together. These last three feasts all take place in the same month. And I like that. Because that means all these things are going to happen pretty close together. Amen? And these three feasts are yet to be fulfilled, and they all pertain to the second coming of Jesus. Look at verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So the seventh month, uh, our calendar, September, October, quite a distance from March, April. A large span of time after the first four feasts. Again, time prophetically that we're living in now, the church age. Church age is from the time of Pentecost till the rapture of the church. We're in the church age right now. Church was birthed at Pentecost and the church will be snatched away at the rapture. So everything in between is a church age. And that's that span of time between these four feasts and these final three feasts. Okay? Now, the seventh month, again, the number perfection, completion. The final three feasts all take place within that seventh month. It says in 2 Peter 3.8, One day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is to a day. And I love how seven keeps coming up in Scripture. And it's interesting that from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Jesus, 4,000 years. Time of Jesus to us today, 2,000 years. A thousand years is to a day as a day is to a thousand years. Our Savior created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. Guys, we've had 6,000 years on this earth. And remember when Jesus Christ comes back with us, we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth. I'm getting ahead of myself. But the millennial kingdom. Guys, a day, does the Bible fit or what? By the way, as a side note, do you know there's a movie about to come out that is the most blasphemous thing I've ever heard of? It's truly. Be praying. It's called Bloodline, and it's getting a major release next month, and it's basically a movie that says, its trailer says, what if the greatest story ever told was a lie? 
And then it talks about Jesus marrying Mary Magdalene, we've heard this before, and them having children, and there's a bloodline that comes from Jesus, and they're saying that they believe they have the body of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene in a tomb that they found. Well, guess what? You're wrong. He's risen and living Savior who's triumphed over sin and death, amen? And guys, when that lie is being propagated and and all that garbage is being told around the world, we need to not be hiding our light under a bushel about the truth of who Jesus Christ is, amen? Lord, help us in days like today to be bold for you. So guys, that day is coming. So the blowing of trumpets, this is the first day of their civil new year. It's called Rosh Hashanah. You ever heard of that before? Now, Rosh Hashanah is 10 days where they would examine themselves. Now, it says in 1 Thessalonians, though, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain with him shall be caught up. Raptuzo, raptizo, where we get the word rapture, right? From that comes from that word caught up into Latin, okay? That's where the word rapture comes from. People say, well, the word rapture is nowhere in the Bible. Okay, let's call it the caught up then, amen? Because we're all going to be caught up, and I'm really glad. The word snatched away, caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The feast of trumpets prophetically points to the rapture of the church. Guys, the trumpet's going to blow. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm excited. I don't know about you. I can't wait. But let's be busy about his work while we're waiting. Amen? Let's not sit and do nothing. But here we see, going forward, Rosh Hashanah, the trumpet blowing. It's coming. After Pentecost, it brings the end to the church age. I just love these Old Testament pictures of our Lord. It says, verse 25, you shall do no customary work on it, and you shall, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this Feast of Trumpets speaks again, Rosh Hashanah, of the rapture of the church. Next we see the Day of Atonement. It's also got another name, and Jew, the Jewish people call it Yom Kippur. Heard of that before? The holiest day of the year for the Jews. The high priest would take off his priestly garments, he would wear linen, and he would go in a picture of, of his humility, and he would go in and, and took the blood of sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled the blood on the ark. Now, let's see what it says here. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of, of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls and, and, and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on the same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Afflict your souls, he tells them. This is a time of self-examination. Now guys, how does that apply to us? Here's what I believe. Pastor Dave's opinion. And you can disagree with me. That's totally fine. You'd be wrong, but you could disagree with me. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. If you're new, I'm kidding. Okay. But here's the thing. After the rapture of the church, there's going to be a time when the Jewish people, during that seven-year period, are going to be examining everything. It's going to be a time when we praise God, there are going to be 144,000 Jewish missionaries, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, they're going to get saved. The two witnesses are going to be there. They're going to be struck down dead and get up from the dead. We're going to see a radical transformation. It is a day of atonement for the Jewish people. Amen? 
when God's not done with them. They're in rebellion now. He's not done with them. And praise God that they will, for the first time, look on him whom they have pierced, and they'll realize that Jesus Christ indeed is the one who had paid the price. It says, you shall do no work on that same day. Again, the high priest alone did the work on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, only he went in. Nobody else did anything. Guys, only Jesus Christ paid the price. None of us did anything. He did all of it. He gets all the credit. Verse 29, For any person who is not afflicted in the soul in that same day shall be cut off from his people. Guys, affliction here remind, you know, points to conviction. Without, no, without any conviction, there can be no conversion. Amen? If there's never a, we come to a place of brokenness and desperation for God, there cannot truly be salvation. Guys, it's when we realize, you know what, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I'll never see a need for a Savior till I realize I'm a sinner. Amen? And I must come to realize I can't do it. I can't. It's impossible. Lord, the debt is $500 million and I have 10 cents. I can't do it. I'm so short, Lord. And he comes in and pays the price that you and I could not pay. Amen? And it says there, if they are not afflicted in the soul, if there's no conviction, there's not going to be conversion. If there's no brokenness. Guys, and I've said this before, and I don't want you to take this wrong because it's not always true in every case, but I would much rather see somebody come forward at an altar call weeping than laughing. Amen? Now, there should be a great joy of our salvation, but before the joy, there's mourning over our sin. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn. You know what? What's he talking about? Those who mourn and are broken over their sin. It's when we mourn that we're comforted. Amen? It's mourning that then brings about the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon our lives. And we see here this picture that without that affliction in the soul, they shall be cut off from the people. Verse 30, and any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from his people. Anybody who tries to work their way to heaven will never get there. Amen? And it's interesting. After the rapture, there's going to be the realization that they've missed the Messiah. Israel's eyes are going to be opened. Many Jews will be saved. And again, this day of atonement is a time of self-examination and repentance. And knowing that we have a great high priest who has interceded on our, on our behalf. But prophetically, it speaks of the tribulation time. When affliction and grief and repentance will come as Israel's eyes are finally opened to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. You shall do no matter of work, verse 31, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. How many days did they celebrate this? Seven. How many years is the Great Tribulation? Seven years. Okay? Again, Pastor Dave's opinion, but to me, wow. The Bible, it rocks. It's so perfectly put together. You know what? God must have wrote it. Amen? And he did. So sad when people are trying to find loopholes when they ought to just be looking 
clearly at the truth of what the Word of God says. Amen? Lastly, the seventh feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Ingathering, it's also called. Look at verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be a Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews called this the holiday. This was just the holiday. This was the greatest of all their celebrations, a festival of great joy, a feast of celebration at the end of the harvest season in remembrance of God's provision in the wilderness. They would just celebrate and, hey, we struggled once, but we, look, the harvest is here. Look, we've got, it's, it's, this, it's the harvest time, it's the celebration time. Look at the abundance we now dwell in. Guys, we were once lost, but now we're found. Amen? We once wandered in the wilderness. We were starving and hungry and broken. And now we walk in the fullness of joy, filled with the spirit of the living God. What a, what a picture we see here. You know, the Bible tells us that the field is white for the harvest. And for you and I, we need to look and realize that there's a time right now for us to reach out. Because the ultimate harvest coming is coming soon. This is the celebration at the end of harvest season. At the end of harvest season, harvesting will take place no more. What is this pointing to? Let's keep reading. And it says there in verse 35, On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. How many times he told them not to work? And yet as Christians, how many times do we fall into the trap of trying to earn God's favor? Don't we do that? We try to earn God's favor. We think when we're doing really good, God must love me a little more than now, right? You know, I knocked on 50 doors for him this week. He's probably loving me a lot right about now. You know what I mean? we got to get that mentality. Sometimes, and he tells him over, don't do any work. Don't do any work. Rest. Trust. Rest. Put your hope in him. Rest in him. Amen? And yet, we try to earn, try to earn. Offerings during this time were the most elaborate of the entire year because they look back on their deliverance, they celebrate their current blessing, and it's the time of the greatest amount of giving. Look what it says there. You shall offer an offering made by fire. Then verse 37, these are feasts of the Lord. You shall proclaim holy convocations. Now look at this. To offer an offering made by fire, a burnt offering of a grain offering, a sacrifice and a drink offering, Everything in its day. So on that day, they offered a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, drink offerings, Sabbath offerings, gifts, vows, and free will offerings. That was a day of offering. It was a day of giving everything to the Lord. Amen? It was a day of letting go of everything and putting all of it back to Him. Lord, it's all yours. Guys, this final feast, this Feast of Tabernacles, points to the millennial kingdom and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years because guys they were dwelling in temporary tents and they would look back and remember that time dwelling in those temporary tents but guys there's a time coming we're going to leave these tents behind aren't you glad and we're going to rule and reign with him and then at the end of that thousand year reign we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven it says there in verse 39 well, verse 38, besides the Sabbath of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. So all these offerings are brought to the Lord. Guys, can we give God enough for what he's already given us? What's the answer? 
Absolutely not. Verse 39, also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Guys, this can also point, we see this seven-day period where they're rejoicing. Remember, previously there's weeping, and yet we see there's seven days of rejoicing at this other time. You know what, guys? While the tribulation is happening upon the earth, where are we going to be? We're going to be in the presence of Almighty God before we come back with Him and rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. And it says there, and you shall, verse 41, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. So notice, they all come closely together. You have the rapture, right? Picture, you know, and then the tribulation, and then the millennial reign. We come back with the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. They all happen close together in the text. They all happen close together historically. And it says there, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. For them, it was an opportunity to share with their children the truth of God's great provision and deliverance. It says that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. They would bring these tents out. Imagine how excited the kids would be. For seven days, they bring out these tents and everybody go dwell in the tents for seven days. And imagine what the kids must have said. Dad, Mom, why are we living in a tent? Our house is right there. Why are we out here in this tent? And they would be reminded. This is to remember how we wandered in the wilderness after being delivered out of bondage in Egypt. How God provided for us there. But you know what? God had something greater for us in the future. So too for us. You know, we need to be remembering all that Christ has done for us. Amen? Can you imagine what kind of worship's going to go on during the millennial reign? Can you imagine how we're going to be able to look back and remember how God has delivered us and ultimately we'll see that ultimate rejoicing in heaven? And, it's, and we know that they, they did this. They were encamped near the temple. They were close to God's presence, but at the same time remembering His deliverance. So, the... Feast of Tabernacles, this ingathering, was the greatest of all celebrations. It was a time of great joy, a feast at the end of the harvest season, the greatest time of giving, looking back at their deliverance, celebrating their current blessing, a time of feasting and resting and rejoicing before the Lord. Historically, again, the deliverance from wandering in the wilderness, prophetically, the millennial reign of Christ And again, when you and I will no longer dwell in these temporary tents. It says, so Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. What a great picture for all of us. Amen? Remember again, celebration. Looking back in remembrance of all the great things God has done. The first four feasts already fulfilled in Christ. Passover, pointing to deliverance out of bondage in Egypt, but looking forward to the cross of Calvary. Guys, we've been delivered out of the bondage to this world because of the cross of Calvary. Amen? Second, unleavened bread, their hasty departure. Again, unleavened, our sinless Savior's body in the tomb. Number three, first fruits. 
They were to give God the, the first of what they had. It's a picture of the resurrection. And then fourth, we had Pentecost. The giving of the law and the giving of the Holy Spirit. The law reveals sin. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven to those who've been forgiven for their sin. Amen? And then we see prophetically again, Passover and the cross, the unleavened bread in the tomb, the first fruits in the resurrection, Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and then finally, the free fall feast that, are about, that will be fulfilled when Christ comes again, the feast of trumpets, a time of self-examination, as they would look upon themselves and see their sin and need of a Savior. For you and I, a picture of the rapture of the church. We will be snatched away at the trump of the Lord. A day of atonement, the atoning work of our Savior. Again, atoning work of the Messiah. They'll finally realize, again, it was Him whom they have pierced. It points prophetically to the tribulation. And finally, the Feast of Tabernacles. God's provision for them. And again, it points to the millennial reign, the heaven, our time in heaven to come as well. Amen? So praise God for His Word, doesn't it rock? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for the Word of God. And we thank You, Lord, that we can see our Savior on every page. We thank You that that we do not serve a dead God. We do not serve a, a religion. But Lord, it's truly a relationship with the Creator of the universe. Lord, I do pray that the Word that has gone out tonight would be a word of encouragement and a word of exhortation to all of us. Lord, that we would be encouraged as to who we, who we are in you. That we would look back to the cross and remember that the price has been paid. Lord, that we would look back with great rejoicing to the, not just a body in a tomb, but a risen and a living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. And then, Lord, what a privilege to know, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has been given. We praise God for Pentecost. Lord, you did not leave us orphans. You did not leave us alone, but you sent your Holy Spirit to comfort us, to convict us, to help us to walk in the center of your will. And Lord, we live in anticipation of those things which are to come. There's nothing left that has to happen for you to snatch your church away. Lord, you can do it even tonight. We would say, Lord, come quickly. But Lord, we pray that when you come, that we will be busy about your work. Lord, we cannot wait. We look forward to seeing you face to face. May we give praise and glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's stand up and close the worship song.